0: Shalom! This is Shomer Man with your Parsha Midnight Torah Study for Parsha Shof Team. We're going to go ahead and get started with this week's Insights. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu <speaking> Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakar Banu Mikol Amim, Ve Natan Etorato, Baruch Atah No Noten HaTorah, <Hebrew> Amen. Amen. Adonai, may you bind us to the lapid, Mashiach Yeshua, and may you grant us eyes to see. Amen. So this week's Torah portion, we are fresh out of Rosh Hodesh Elul, and this Torah portion shelf team always corresponds to the beginning of the month of Elul. And so there's this idea that this week's Torah portion cast, basically in principle and and the timing of where it falls on the hebrew calendar every year like literally every year like every year so what we're entering into is the 40 days of shuva and that corresponds to the first of elul all the way through yom kippur which is the 10th of tishrei And during this time, this is where Moshe was on the mountain for the final time with Hashem to receive the renewed tablets. And we know that even though the tablets were renewed and the covenant were renewed, the tablets were considered to be of a lesser value than the original ones. Because the original tablets were cut from the throne of Hashem, And the Torah was inscribed upon them and the letters floated inside of them. The tablets were super spiritual and it included all of the halakha and commentary of sages for generations and all of the oral Torah and everything were included in the sapphire tablets. But the second set of tablets, when the covenant was renewed, just included the 10 mitzvot. And so with that being said they were less quote unquote miraculous but nonetheless they were the same words inscribed upon them just the inner meaning uh was missing basically so when you kind of look at that it's not that these tablets are disregarded or these tablets are not of any value because there's lots of value to them and you know, one would err to overlook them. So the beauty of that is when you look at the final resting place of the Ark, when it comes into the Holy Land, when it enters into the Bet HaMikdash, into the Holy of Holies, inside the Ark is contained the broken pieces of the sapphire tablets overlaid with the second set of tablets. So the completed tablets that were of a lesser value rested on the greater value of the sapphire tablets. But either way, it's the same Torah written on both. Just the sapphire tablets were, and the broken tablets even. There were, There's the fact that the sapphire tablets basically contained within them the spirit of the law. It's beyond the letter. And So you see this picture that it's not that you need to be just by the spirit of the law or Just by the letter of the law, but you have to really do both You have to put the spirit and the law together and that is the completion of the covenant and the picture is shown to us in Mashiach Yeshua how in within himself He embodies the Sapphire tablets because literally Mashiach comes from the throne of Hashem and even the Kol HaTor mentions that mashiach ben yosef is considered the throne for mashiach ben david so mashiach is in a sense sitting upon himself and so um because benny b made some commentary for this week's story portion we will get into how the two mashiachs are one and all that beautifulness so don't know if i'll get into it for this Josh, but just kind of forecasting because we're just gonna this week uh, fly through lots of sources and um, really just Bezrat Hashem glean from Hashem, you know, really what he's showing us in this week's Torah portion because, you know, with each and every day of the Torah portion, you literally split it into seven sections, which are called Aliyot. So each Aliyot or each of the Aliyot, which Aliyot is plural and Aliyah is the singular form. So every day when you study a portion of it, there's a Aliyah for today. You know, there is an Aliyah for today. So you have seven Aliyot. And basically this shows us how we can take the Torah portion and really live out our week within the context of the Torah portion. So... You know, Yom Rishon, which is the first day of the week, you start with the first Aliyah and you glean everything from that Aliyah. So, for example, one of the sources that I get to glean from is the Daily Wisdom and the Daily Wisdom. uh, Again, they break it down into the Aliyah for the day. And today's Aliyah is based off of Devarim 1618 through Devarim 17.13. So within that section of this week's Torah portion, the title for this is Personal Judges and Sheriffs. And so the first verse of this Torah portion is, ve Shotrim titen lecha bekol she arecha. So that phrase from Devarim 16.18 is, You must appoint judges and sheriffs, for yourselves and all your cities. Commentary on this is the Hebrew word for cities used here for the word Shaharecha. Literally, Shaharecha means gates, like Shaar means gate. And so you're to point, you are to appoint judges and sheriffs for yourselves and all of your gates. And so it says the gates of our bodies, we have gates and there are ears. Eyes okay, so through these gates, you basically it says through which stimuli from the external world enter our bodies and our personal world. So, there's this idea as well back from Parsha Shalach Lecha when the spies were sent into the land. We learned from the Haftarah that week, which was the spies that Yehoshua sent into uh, Jericho, and they ended up meeting with Rahab, and the way that the spies entered into Jericho is they masqueraded as sellers of earthen vessels, which are like pottery and clay and things of that nature, and there was this halakha brought down about earthen vessels can only be made impure by what enters into them. Not what slika, um, not what enters into them, but what comes out of them, basically. And the thing is, is yes, this corresponds to what Mashiach was talking about in Mark seven about you're defiled by what comes out of your mouth, not by what enters into your mouth. And then remember last week um, during one of my podcasts, I was talking about how something impure only goes into your mouth because something impure came out of your mouth i.e. so this common uh verse that's used for yeshua making all foods clean which we know is not true and it is a parenthetical statement that was inserted and added into that text it definitely has no bearing on what mashiach was teaching mashiach was teaching about having a pure heart of torah like pure torah before shem not Caught up in customs and stringencies that are far removed from the actual mitzvah itself But get back to the the mitzvah and start from the mitzvah and build out from there Like that's what mashiach's whole point is and so to come in in the midst of that context and say This is where yeshua makes all food clean That that doesn't make any sense and what do you mean by makes all food clean? you know I.E. like making unclean food that was uh, written in Torah, like overthrowing the Torah and saying, yeah, forget about what, what we said before. It is now that these foods are clean, so they are, quote unquote, permissible for you to eat. Well, if that were the case, then you would undo homosexuality. You would undo idolatry and you would say that those things are completely Legit and those things are completely permissible. And why did I go ahead and escalate that so quickly? Because the word abomination is what's used for foods that are unclean. And so if you get rid of foods that are unclean, which is what abomination is connected to, then what else is abomination connected to homosexuality and idolatry? You know, so you might as well go ahead and shalom, get married to members of the same sex or go ahead and start passing your children through the fire, through the hands of all the different deities that um, are worshipped by the seven nations that were cast out of the land of Israel when B'nai Israel were entering into the land under the leadership of Yeshua. Which, you know, that's Joshua's name. So, anyway, it just kind of really gets done, gets uh, undone very uh, dramatically, drastically, uh, very uh, awkwardly, and just, I mean, quickly, you know, if you just take for the simple fact that you would cause the kashrut section of the Torah to be removed. If you just remove that completely. You basically create this uh, this basic inner collapse, you know, of spiritual purity and uh, pure service and devotion to Hashem. So, is our service to Hashem connected to what we eat? You better believe it. And this is why the very first time the word mitzvah is used, at least the root of the word mitzvah, which is zav, it is in the context of the commandment that Hashem brought down to Adam and Hava about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, That is the long introduction to how if you go back to the fact of our earthen vessels, we have eyes, we have ears, we have a nose, we have a mouth. And the only way that these, the only way that our vessels can be made impure is by what enters our eyes and what enters our ears and what enters our nose and what enters our mouth, which would charge us up and stimulate us to do improper things. Or if we go on the other side, if we put good things in our ears, good things in our eyes, good things in our nose, good things in our mouth, you know, it would charge us up and stimulate us to do good things. So You know, we have to take care of our earthen vessels because the only way that they can be made impure is from the inside. So again, there's that. So the daily wisdom here is saying that this verse requires us to station judges and sheriffs to guard these gates against the intrusion of any stimuli that could be harmful to our spiritual health. Through studying the Torah, we learned which influences are beneficial and therefore permitted. Through studying the Torah, we learn which influences are beneficial and therefore permitted, and which are harmful and therefore forbidden. Okay, so the idea of studying Torah, if you are against that, I would definitely encourage you to seek Hashem in that because... If we are to truly uphold judges uh, at our gates, as written here in Devarim 1618, you know, part of that is studying Torah. That means there's Halakha, there's Midrash, there's agada, there's, you know, um, the Mishnah, there is, you know, all of the commentaries that you see in your Humash, you know, there's the Midrash Rabbah, there's Talmud. You know, the written Torah itself, the words of Mashiach, you know, like all of this is the Torah that we should study that will help us keep our earthen vessels purified because these judges that are placed, the shoftim that are placed at these gates, these inner sheriffs, they will help us um, keep ourselves moving in the right direction. And it continues here in the Daily Wisdom by saying the job of the sheriff is to enforce decisions rendered by the judge. Okay, so you have this hierarchy already. You have the judge and then you have this agent that goes out to make sure that whatever the judge deems the standard, the sheriff is going to ensure that the word of the judge is held up or the standard of the judge is withheld, or held up. The sheriff will make sure that the standard of the judge is upheld. There we go. Good. I, English is kind of like my second language, so kind of struggle with it sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but anyway, it says our inner sheriffs are the techniques that each of us need to cultivate in order to combat the voices within us that oppose the decisions of our inner judges. And so, yes, we have the wonderful and beautiful picture that is laid down in Romans 7, elucidated right here in our Torah portion this week about our Shoftim and our Sharat team. So, if you look at team, these are the guardians of the gates. Okay, so you got your judges and then you got your, your deputies of the judges which are sheriffs and they're going to battle and wage war you know so this is why we're studying Torah so we can battle and wage war with our yetzahara with the desires of our flesh with the enticements of this world so we're going against a lot of stuff here and so we have a shelf team we have these judges and these sheriffs you know it's just kind of like all right but here's the beautiful thing. It goes ahead and says this, thus regarding the messianic future, basically when Mashiach comes, which is why we're praying so hard, you know, which is why we're making so much Shuva and we're just looking forward and yearning for our King. You know, it's not, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like, I don't know if people know this, but the life we have now, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is how it is and it's preparing us to get ready for how life is supposed to be and i always like to think about the fact that if a person works out you know they put on weight and it's tearing down our body you know it's struggling it's painful it hurts it burns it just really gets down into um, the essence of things that we do not desire to do and if you work out if you really fight through all of that if you go with these techniques then you end up being strengthened so that by the time your body really you know adapts and gets through all of the challenges all of the things that have held it down and anchored it down now like going into you know in life uh of the world to come you know, it's just kind of like if you think about how this this world is like working out and then the, the world to come is like when you're actually, you know, you've basically made it through all the competition. So like you're reaping the benefits of what it is to be, healthy, you know, because once you work out and you enter into competitions or if you just are going throughout your day because you've gotten yourself in shape and things like that things become easier to do, like climbing three flights of stairs or, you know, carrying groceries or, you know, just walking to and fro. Wow. Walking to and fro. 20. Okay. So just a phrase of that. And, you know, just things are a lot easier. You sleep better and all sorts of stuff. You know, it's easier to breathe. You know, you just feel good, you know, um, and things like that so all these benefits is what it's like in the the world to come you know you make it through all these challenges and then there's this opportunity for us to enter into glory and part of that is going to be when mashiach returns like that's going to be the beginning of like new chapters uh that are going to just keep unfolding you know there's the thousand years and then after the thousand years there's gonna be even more stuff you know and so it's just like okay eternal life is not just this monotone you know like okay everything's wonderful for like ever now it's like no it ain't gonna be boring trust me so we want mashiach to come now so we can go ahead and get this started (laughs) you know like work out real fast right now so we can uh so we can get this going so we can be ready so anyway that's a just the implications of, you know, when we're praying and hastening the day of the return of the Messiah, we're using our sheriffs and we're, uh, we're working out, you know, and we're getting ready for the time that it will benefit us. And so it says that God only, God only promises to restore our judges, you know, and notice we do pray that in the Shimon Esrei, may you restore our judges as in days of old and in former times, you know, and things like that. And then it says, but not the sheriffs. So all of these challenges and all these techniques and these little things that we're using, all of these agents and deputies for the judges, that's not going to be restored, but the judges will be. And it says in the messianic era, negativity. Will not hold sway over us. Oh my goodness. There's just so much salvation in that statement right there. I mean, because you think about how much negativity is going on in the world right now. And how, yes, we repel it with the help of Hashem. But, you know, it's still something that, in a a fraction of something, it really grabs us, you know. And it's just kind of like, wow. So, in the Messianic era, in the Messianic future, it will not... Hold sway over us. It ain't going to even grab us in the least. So I'm looking forward to that. The dentist says, So there will be no need for protective measures to ensure that we follow God's will. You know, and ultimately, that is where my heart is, and I pray that's where all of our hearts are is that we just want to follow Hashem's will. And like all this stuff that's trying to pull us off track and pull us off course, like get that out of here, you know? Like, What in the world? You know, I just want to keep Shabbat. I just want to, you know, be devoted to Hashem and be in His presence. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to pray without being distracted, not by my environment, but by my own thoughts. You know, and it's just kind of like, man, I I can't wait until that day where that is the, you know, so anyway, that is Lakute Sukkot, volume 34. And uh, that is elucidated by the daily wisdom, basically from Kehot. Breaking down our Aliyah for today, that is the thing. And so now zooming back out to this idea that Shoftim is always read during the beginning of Elul. Again, not that it's uh, too much to keep repeating this, but my word, how immaculate. Is not only the predetermined and established calendar, you know, the Hebrew calendar. How amazing is it corresponding to the way that Ezra HaSophar, you know, Ezra the scribe, setting up these weekly Torah portions. I mean, that's immaculate. You know, you think of how many centuries this calendar has been established. Um, I was listening to Rabbi Wolby. Again, Shouts out to the Rambot for that. Such a wonderful podcast to be able to check out every week. You know, he really does a good job of doing like an overview, walking through each part of the Torah, like what's covered. And then he drops in some insights that kind of sideswipe you and take you down to the mat. And you're just like, where did that come from? That was amazing. What's wrong with you? You know, kind of thing. And then you know, keeps going like it like nothing happened. Like I didn't just say anything right there. But, you know, look over here. Boom. Punch to the face. You know, it's just kind of like that's messed up, man. But thank you. I appreciate your insights that you're sharing with us. So anyway, um I don't know. I just I just feel like every time I know I shouldn't be doing I feel statements, but I just have to because it's so overwhelming. I just feel like every time you look at The cycle of the Torah portions, the Hebrew calendar, and how all the time, just knowing certain Torah portions always fall out on the same time of the year, the same season, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, and then to even look at things that, that move around like Pesach and, um, And Shavuot and things like that as far as the Torah portions that correspond before or after those dates, you know, and Shavuot is always right before we get into Naso, you know, and it's just like, what? And Naso is all the the gleanings and offerings and things like that that are talked about. So and um, there are portions that are usually read between purim and pesach and depending on if it's a leap year or not and how either way regardless of where it's placed within that little window purim and pesach the tour portion has like a double meaning you know so if it's before pesach it means this if it's after pesach it means this but it's always these things you know so that just continues to blow my mind. And even as I'm trying to explain myself, it's just like I'm having a hard time just really keeping it together here. So what I'm going to just go ahead and do is just keep it moving to say that the original point is we're in the 40 days of Shuvah now. And it's Shoftim like it always is. And shouts out to my Chavivi, Ish this is his tour portion. So a big Mazal Tov to you. Uh, that means you're getting another year wiser. This somewhere around here. And uh, also because I got to go back to when you gave or when. So got, now I'm talking to everybody else. Okay, here we go. So I got to go back to when Ish gave his Bar Mitzvah Drash uh, on Shoftim. If you haven't seen that, uh, go back to not 5777, seven, seven, but 5776 and look that up from Sarshalon because homeboy homeboy dropped some amazing things that you might want to check out. So with all that being said, Elul and Teshuva and Team are interrelated and connected. So I'm going to go ahead and hop over to Dr. Sikal, who has graced us with some insight of this. He decides to pull out some Rambam with a mem Rambam, and some Mishneh Torah on Teshuvah. So as elucidated here, it says, Even though repentance and calling out to God are desirable at all times, during the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, and yom kippur they are even more desirable and will be accepted immediately as fifty-five six states seek god when he is to be found right now we're in the beginning of that process so you know it's not that you really want to wait until the last 10 days of the 40 days but i guess for uh, those who are coming in late to the quote-unquote game it's not really a game but coming in late later in the whole process here it's just like it's not too late to make shuva you know so work hard now and then keep working hard even during the last 10 days like start strong finish strong basically you know but just know that believe that trust that you know Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur like if you for Some reason it's, it's taking you that long, just know that if you're gonna go ahead and like tip the scales during that time frame, Hashem's already gonna hook you up. So, um, best right to Shem, we all work hard during a lull, and then when Rosh Hashanah gets here, we even take it to the next level. And when Rosh Hashanah gets here, may Mashiach get here, you know, so that'd be great. Now, Zohar declares. Yeah, he just, he goes right from Rambam to Zohar. So Rabbi Shimeon Bar Yochai, he just, yeah, that's cool. They're related. They're both Jews. So why not? So he says, or it says in the Zohar section here, it says, When God desired to create the world, he pondered the pros and the cons of the creation of man. He asked the Torah for counsel. Okay, so Hashem is speaking with himself like he always does. He's talking to himself. It says, you know, by default, be him praying to himself because, you know, prayer is a conversation. Dialogue with Hashem. So he asked the Torah for counsel. The Torah replied, Master of the world, if you create man, there are times when he will sin. Neither the world nor man would be able to exist. Continuing, God replied, is it for nothing that I am called merciful, compassionate, patient, dot, dot, dot? Therefore, before God created the world, he created Teshuvah. Teshuvah is always available to man. See so how have this idea that even before we were fashioned, brought forth, and into creation, Hashem had teshuva waiting on us. So before we were even aware of it, before we even sinned, Hashem had already provided the antidote for the effect of sin. So, the Torah itself shows its wisdom and its foresight and knowledge that when man is created, they're going to sin. <laughs> so, Hashem, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> and it's like, yes, there will be teshuva. And so, if you look at Alul and into rosh hashanah basically rosh hashanah is considered to be the day that man was brought forth from the earth you know the day of resurrection and this is why shofars are sounded and we read throughout the basura and the letters of the talmudim and the shliakim that when the shofar is sounded the dead will be raised And so when we're asking Hashem to sound the shofar and gather in all of the exiles, well, some of the exiles are currently in the grave. Some of the lost sheep are currently in the grave. And then in the Amidah, we already know that Hashem is faithful to those who are asleep in the dust. You know, it's just like, yep. So the shofar sound is going to be brought forth. And because Hashem is faithful, maintain and take care of those who are currently asleep. He's going to wake them up. Along with us, and we're going to be gathered in and brought into Eretz Israel to the rebuilt city of Yerushalayim. And, you know, we'll be standing before our king or probably on our faces and standing, you know, before our king kind of thing. And so it's just kind of like that's the implications of Rosh Hashanah. So you backtrack six days before uh, Rosh Hashanah and you're in the last week of Elul. And, you know, and this is all happening in the context of the 40 days of Shuva. And so, literally, our Teshuva is preparing us for resurrection. It's preparing us move out of the context and out of the framework of having a body, a um, corporeality that is tainted with sin, And we're going to move into the newness of life through the resurrection. And through our attachment and connection with Mashiach Yeshua and abiding in Him, we are experiencing like a foretaste of that. So in a sense, we're walking in the power of the resurrection right now. The understanding and with the circumstance of us abiding in Mashiach. Now, if we remove ourselves standpoint, this connection, this attachment, then we're taking ourselves out of that foretaste, and so making teshuva puts us back in line so that we can, you know, stay on the straight, and narrow path. So, I mean, it's this very um, beautiful and balanced path. It is definitely straight, it is definitely narrow, and we need to know that sin is not permissible, it is not something that we need to make our habitation and our dwelling within. But, should we? Fall into those little pit holes, and trust me, we only fall into those pit holes because we want to, uh, which makes it so uh, heart wrenching. Because Hashem is able to keep us from falling, but yet we fall, and it's just like He's going to keep us and help us do what we want to do, and when we fall and when we go into sin, He's turning us over, you know, to that because He's not going to force us to love Him. He's not going to force us. To walk in complete righteousness, he's going to help us, he's going to enable us, but he's not going to force us. That's, uh, you know, that's something that we're really, or at least, so that's something I'm definitely working through. I don't want to throw that on anybody else, but I'm talking to myself right now, you know, like this is the introspection that is necessary that should be happening for the month of Elul is that whatever is causing the, um, the detours and the the swerves and the pitfall and the pit stops you know whatever is causing all that whatever i can do whatever needs to be done to stay connected to stay attached like fight for that and and build up the techniques you know of the sheriffs while we have them let's use them you know so I think the the time that we're having right now is definitely very, very powerful. And it's such a gift, you know, the month of Elul. Again, looking at the different meanings that Elul itself has as far as the acronym, you know. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. This is the month that Hashem circumcises the hearts of B'nai Yisrael. And the whole idea of Re'eh seeing by hearing, you know, because what showed up pink has dropped last week about how we see Alul in Ree, you know, and how we break that down. So um, but basically it all pertains to the fact that we're giving Hashem our undivided. We are looking within ourselves and going through and cleaning out all of those impurities. And the way we clean it out, it's like we're taking this uh, water hose and we're doing like this washing the deck, so to speak, and washing out all of the the closets, the corners, the all these rooms that are within us, you know, in our hearts and in our minds, we're going through and the water that comes out is fire. It's fiery water, which is the Torah. And this is why the tablets are sapphired because... It's filled with water and it's set on fire and it creates like this sapphire bluish type color, you know, and it's like it reflects the uh, the sea, which reflects the sky and which reflects the throne of God. And this is the techelet that are on our Zit You know, it has that color of the the different progression that goes from the water to the sky to the throne. The throne ultimately is what is sapphire. The techelet is the picture of what it takes to get all the way through the sapphire. So just kind of that path. And so when we're looking down at our zit zit, it's like there's this techelet. Because we're supposed to be focusing on that which comes from the throne and, you know, having Hashem. Be enthroned upon us, you know, like we are to be his throne here on the earth And it's just kind of like what does it take for that to happen? We have to be immersed. We have to be uh, Passed through the fiery Torah, you know, we have to abide in the consuming fire And this is what makes the point that I mentioned earlier about, you know, one of the idolatrous abominations Is passing your children through the fire? of these different um, deities uh, one of them is Molech, by the way and so there's this idea that the forces of evil and all of the wickedness they've taken such a spiritual concept as hashem our god is a consuming fire the torah the word of hashem is fire the mikvah that mashiach is going to immerse us in is fire and it's just like yeah yeah don't worry about any of that just you know, bring me your babies and put them in, in this. And it's like this fire is a maluse of creation. You know, uh, idolatry takes truth and twists it all up and reverts and redirects power to the citra acra, to the forces of evil. Citra acra is the, considered to be the other side, like the other side of holiness, the opposite of holiness. And so, you know, that's a uh, very Kabbalistic term, but that's what that means. And so if you think about what belongs to God and you take that and put it somewhere else, that's a picture of what idolatry is all about, which interestingly enough, I don't know. I'm going to bring it up. And uh, I'm really this is one of the things that I'm working through as well. So but for the sake of the point when you look at what Xmas is all about, and trust me, Xmas is not about anything that's prescribed in Torah. So there is that. But there is a tree that is covered and decked in gold and silver, uh, false fruits, you know, because you put up, de- at least when I used to celebrate that, you know, I, we used to put up decorative pears and doves and it's just like wait 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 fruits putting them on a tree we're taking a dove and we're putting it on a tree and then we're taking angels and then we're putting it on a tree and then we're taking garland and we're putting it on a tree it's just like oh my gosh and then under the tree we're putting all these gifts that this quote-unquote deity brings because he Yes, he is a deity. He flies and he has control over these demonic little reindeer things. Why am I going in all this? Because, you know, this week's tour portion team, we cover a lot about idolatry. And um, because of having a mini-Drosh with Stav Soldat, we find out that, you know, right after we get past the team section, there's a little section about not planting a tree next to the altar. And going into that, it's a whole umbrella of idolatrous practices that are forbidden to be a part of Kalali Israel in the temple precinct and our own hearts and in our minds. So it's beyond the scope of those couple of verses right there. And it's just like, wait, these few verses mean all of this. Yep, you better believe it And it's just like, oh my gosh I thought it was just, don't plant a tree next to the altar Like, what? You know, it's like, no That's why you have to have Jewish commentary So that you know what it really means (laughs) This is why the sapphire tablets are so important This is why, since we don't have sapphire tablets currently Having the words of Mashiach is very important Having Jewish literature is very important You know, so get yourself some sources And link it up, you know But anyway so, with that being said, this is in this week's Torah portion, so I'm going to elucidate this, this is craziness. But, the deity man flying around, and what he brings, the fruits of his labor, is to bring you these gifts that you put underneath this tree. That's covered in angels, covered in fruit, covered in garland, covered in silver, covered in gold, and all of that, and star on top of it, and all this kind of stuff. Okay? Then with all of that, you're waiting, um, anticipating, you know, the morning that you get to go ahead and uh, attack, so to speak. All of that stuff that's underneath and hopefully the tree doesn't fall on you or something. And it's just kind of like, wow. So this is called celebrating the birth of Yeshua. It's like, wow, that is the epitome of idolatry. So, as hard as that is to say and put out there, and as hard of a comment as that is to make, it's awkward, and I don't like saying it. I wish that everyone would just celebrate Sukkot and get the full meaning of what it is to have the birth of Mashiach. But, I digress. Um, With this happening, let's look at the kedusha side of things because that's the Citra akra when you get into all that. So let's look at the Kedushah. So there is this one thing called the tree of life, which is the Torah. And then this tree is living. This tree is firmly planted in the word of God. This tree is not something that needs to be nailed down and anchored this is a tree that is not chopped down and taken from its native place of habitation and brought in to your home or brought in somewhere else or people go out into the forest and worship it like this tree is in the center of the garden and then this tree is alive is active it's enduring it's sharper than a two-edged sword talking about the word of god the word of god is the tree of life yeshua HaMashiach is the tree of life so we're celebrating his birth but you know when was that because if you think about what was going on with every single town being packed out and yosef and miriam the parents of mashiach yeshua are looking around desperately for a place to stay for the night. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that there's not a massive influx of Jews throughout the land of Israel that are overpopulating major towns on what's considered to be December 25th. That's, I mean, you're just not going to see that. But on Sukkot, which is a pilgrimage festival... Which is when everybody and their grandsister are Bezrat Hashem making Aliyah to Yerushalayim or the nearest Levitical city near you. <laughs> yeah, now you're going to have something going on. Like this is going to be like, OK, can I find a space? Can I have a corner, please? So anyway, you got all that going on. And the only thing that they can get is a place that is a temporary uh, shelter and it is uh surrounded by animals and a trough and things like that and it's commonly called like a stable or an inn or something like that but it's really a sukkah so you are the beautiful thing about this is when you make your sukkah you're supposed to sleep in it and you're supposed to be exposed to the elements <laughs> And it's just kind of like, wow, like so the beauty of Mashiach being laid, you know, on a bedding of straw and, and, and things like that. And they're in a place that is outside that is uh, very fragile, you know, and Mashiach is, is born in, as very fragile, you know, as this infant. And, uh, you know, it's this very like tender situation. This is the meaning of Sukkot. Now, the sukkah and everything is beautiful, but 50 mile an hour wind comes through, your sukkah is not going to be that beautiful, you know? Or if it rains just a little bit, your sukkah not going to be that beautiful. So, you know, it's this idea of, okay, it's beautiful, but it's very tender, you know? And so, Mashiach being born into that context, I mean, not to say that we need to have him anchored and born there but i mean he is you know because you look at the fact of sukkot is seven days but there's a eighth day festival that corresponds to yosef it's about Shemini atzeret it's about the joy of receiving torah well what happens on the eighth day for a jewish boy the brit milah so when you have the brit milah the circumcision It's a day of joy. It's a day of celebrating. It's the day of removing, you know, um, part of the body that was not meant to be there. And uh, you think about the fact of Simchat Torah, all the renewal and everything that we're going through. and We're dancing and we're rejoicing and we're taking the Torah and we're celebrating with it. This would be the eighth day of Mashiach Yeshua's time here on the earth is in the likeness of man. You know, like in the flesh. Anyway, but you have this tree of life. And then you have, and by for a second. You have this tree of life here. You have, you know, all the gifts that are brought to them. Among many of the gifts are silver and gold. You know, and all of this incense, you know, fragrant aromas and spices that you would smell. And then you have the fact that the fruits, the spirit emanate from. From him. I mean, come on, man. You know, it's real fruit. It's fruit that you can truly eat, you know, and this is not just your apple. This is not just your pear. This is not just like oranges or pomegranates. You know, this is like true fruit. Um, I want to go to the uh, the verse about the fruits of the spirit. All right, we got Galatians 5, through 23 coming right up says, but the fruit of the Ruach HaKodesh. Here's some fruit. We got love, joy, shalom, uh, forbearance. That's an interesting way to put it. Patience. There we go. All right. So we got love. We got joy. We got shalom. We got patience. We got kindness. We got goodness. We got faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no Torah. Okay, so you got like all this fruit going on, and that this is what emanates from the tree of life. And so this is true fruit that you eat, and it it not only impacts your physical body, but it impacts your spiritual body. And with that being said, you know, we have the fact that we're celebrating him who angels ascend and descend upon. Because remember, Mashiach says that angels will ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. Yes, angels descend and ascend upon the Son of Man, as is written in Yochanan 151. He says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the bridge between the heaven and the earth. And so you look at that and you know, so the angels are going up and down on the tree of life. And then you have the fact that he is crowned with our praises and that the dove, the Yonah, brings him his crown, you know, and that's that's what was on the top of King Shlomo's throne, by the way. There was a dove with a uh, crown, you know, the dove was carrying the crown. And so, on, on Shlomo's throne, when he sat down, literally above him was a dove with a crown, like crowning his head, you know, so it hovered above him. And this is what happened at Mashiach's mikvah of the transferring of the Kohen Gadol from uh, Yochanan ben Zachariah. You know, he, he became, he took on the mantle of the priesthood you know, because Mashiach was born into the lineage of the king, you know, and so Zechariah was a priest and a prophet. And so Mashiach was already a king and a prophet. And then, you know, now at this mikvah, there was a fusion. There was a transferring from Zechariah or Sleka from Yochanan ben Zechariah to Yeshua ben Yosef, you know, what was going on here. Remember, uh, Yochanan has the spirit of Eliyahu. He's also a descendant of Pinchas Aharon, you know all the way down there and so you have that idea too that's going on So everything is getting transferred and infused into Mashiach through this mikvah and then the Dove comes down and crowns Mashiach Yeshua, which is the Ruach HaKodesh descending upon him completely so You got this picture going on. And so it's just kind of like to know that Xmas would take all of these elements and just completely pull them over here. And it's like for centuries, there have been believers who have been on this other side. And it's just like, but what really and truly exists that Hashem has already laid out for us and continues to lay out for us, like making Teshuvah and coming over here, you know, so it's like. Once I found out about all these different uh, festivals that are swerved from Hashem's festivals, which is why I always encourage us. Let's start with Hashem's festivals and, and we can branch out from there and, and look at other things, you know, that, uh, you know, it, not just saying that there are other festivals that are idolatrous, you know, like lots of other festivals don't even have anything to do with idolatry, you know. Like, you know, being grateful for life and and things like that, being uh, grateful for your country and things like that, you know, Uh, grateful for your parents, you know, Um, all these different things, you know, there are different holidays that pop up on the American calendar, you know, that aren't celebrated in other areas of the world. And there's other holidays on those other calendars that aren't celebrated you know, anywhere else in the world, so, but you can know, believe, trust, receive, that if you're in the Torah, Hashem has holidays for us, like, all the time, you know, and so, if we start with those, and get, lose ourselves, literally, in that, then, you know, how beautiful, so, Baruch Hashem, so, let's not swerve off into idolatry, you know, and, and let's, pull back and, and get over here, you know, kind of thing. So with that being said, this is the month of Elul. We're making Shuvah. We're really moving into uh, newness of life, you know, changing our essence. And that all happens through our Shoftein and really digging in and making Shuvah. So I'm going to go ahead and use the remainder of our hour here. And drop in on Sefer Mitzvot On the Mitzvah of uh, The judges And uh, it goes into this idea Of well the Sanhedrin appointing the members and all of that Well you just need to know that the only way you can have a Sanhedrin Is if There is a Shemekah And a Shmika is just a fancy word for authority and the authority no longer exists today and there are many people who try to say that it does but the only problem with that is what we're about to read so instead of arguing instead of stirring up strife which i'm not trying to stir up strife but sometimes that happens i'm just going to go ahead and read the source All right. So this is quite lengthy, but I must read this because this is something that you just need to know. All right. So this is from Sefer Mitzvot, and this is all about Shmika. And it says as its title, the Shmika controversy of 5298 says, as we learn this mitzvah, many as we learned in this mitzvah. Many judicial functions are restricted to judges who have received shmika. Shmika is required not only to try capital cases and those involving malkut, but even to or adjudicate certain monetary cases such as those involving fines. We also learn that a scholar receives Shemekah by being ordained by someone who himself has received Shemekah. And that this is how Shemekah was conferred from the time of Moshe until relentless Roman persecution and the period following the destruction of the second temple and made it impossible to continue doing so. So, everything that fell out with all the heightened Roman persecution after the destruction of the Second Temple, Shmika was dissolved. Although the lack of sages who have received Shmika makes it impossible to confer Shmika in this conventional manner, Rambam, with the mem, Rambam, suggests that it is nevertheless impossible to renew Shmika nowadays. He writes that it appears to him that if all the sages in Eretz Israel agree to appoint judges and confer Shmika upon them, those scholars are considered to have received Shmika and can serve or and can serve as fully ordained judges. Okay, so that's the that's the way Shmeekah can happen again. Okay? Or when Mashiach comes, because he is Shemekah. So there's that. Um, It says in the year 15 or 5298, which corresponds to 1538. And yes, this is not too long after the Inquisition, which is the expelling of the Jews from Spain. Horrible, tragic time and all this kind of stuff. So in 1538, though. The rabbis of Safad, Safed, which is uh, yeah, it's a city here. It says they attempted to renew Shmika based on the view of Rambam. Now I want you to note that if you are trying to follow Rambam, you're going to run into a whole lot of issues because Rambam is not a Sanhedrin, and furthermore. Rambam himself He brings down beautiful elucidations But it's not this uh, carte blanche You know, Halakha So just want to point that out there If anyone is trying to follow the Halakha of Rambam To the T and be very strict about it Just know you're going to run into some issues Okay, the only way to really uphold Halakha Is nowadays until we have our Sanhedrin back Listen to your rabbi This is why it's important to get yourself a rabbi Who follows the rabbi Mashiach Yeshua Ideally But if not someone who's uh, Established in a lineage of Rabbanim Who truly hold to the concept Of Torah Like the standard of Torah Not this conservative or reform type thing But like truly Like in it you know, Torah true Would be following Mashiach Because Mashiach is the Torah So either way You need to get yourself a rabbi Who is uh, Grounded in Halakha So shouts out to our own Rabbi Griffin And to the Zekinin Because you know we are blessed To have them And uh, for the fact that they Are knowledgeable of Halakha they're knowledgeable of Rambam as well So um any issues that come up, you know, we're able to uh, depend upon them and rely upon them by trusting Hashem that, you know, these are the shepherds he's placed for us. So anyway, I just want to point that out because you're about to see here that with what happened with the rabbis of Zafed, Zafat, that um, they are under the view of Rambam with a mem. And they're trying to renew Shmika. Okay? And this is one city using the viewpoint of one man that's not a Sanhedrin. Okay. Anyway, just want to point that out. I don't know how how much I can point that out, but please hear that and understand that. Okay. So it says, they conferred Shmika upon their leader, Rabbi Yaakov Beirav, which is Mahari Beirav. Is uh, probably the more common name you would hear that And it says Who eventually conferred Shmika upon four other sages Including Yosef Karo Which is the author of the Shulchan Aruch And this is why most of Judaism today Really uh, leans on the Shulchan Aruch As you know Halakhic authority You know the way in which we apply the mitzvot Uh, So anyway, in a practical manner, the way in which we apply the mitzvot. This is, okay, so first of all, I just want to point that out that Rabbi Yaakov Beirav was appointed by some rabbis in Safad under the viewpoint of Rambam with Shemika. And then this guy, once he received his Shemika, gave Shmika to these other people, and one of them was the author of the Shukhan Arukh. And then another uh, person that he conferred Shemikah upon is Rabbi Moshe of Trani, which is called Mabit. Okay? So, you have here at least five guys who were deemed to have a Shemikah, but it's only based off Rambam and it's only based off these rabbis from this one city. Then it says, and by the way, this is in 1538. It says, confident in the correctness of their actions. It says, the rabbis of Safat sent a messenger to simply inform the rabbis of Yerushalayim of their initiative. Okay, I don't know if y'all saw any problems with that, but five guys received smicha from this one city that were following Rambam. And then... After that, they go, oh yeah, we should probably let Yerushalayim know. And I don't know if you know this, but Yerushalayim is the headquarters of Judaism. So everything comes from there. And this is why if you look in Acts, I'm going to go ahead and go to Acts real quick. Acts 15, we already see a precedent for this, that even in the community of believers who follow Mashiach, we were we're still in line with the proper chain of authority in Judaism. And it's kinda like that's hard for the mind to grasp these days because we're considered outcasts because we follow Mashiach, which if we didn't follow Mashiach, we wouldn't be considered outcasts. So it's kinda like, wait, what is that? Literally, you have the the idea that this rogue group of people gave Shmika to these five guys and it's like I just need to let the headquarters know this is what we did and Shmeika is now back and so just let y'all know these guys are Shmika, and it's kind of like what so in Acts 15 we have this beautiful uh, picture of how the chain of command actually works because we know that Yaakov, commonly known as James, is the leader of the congregation in Yerushalayim. He is the brother of Mashiach, you know. So, he is the leader of all this. And we have here that... Uh, let see, I'm trying to figure out where to start because, I mean, it's a lot going on here. It's 15. You know what? We're just going to read it from the beginning. That's fine. It says... And some men came down from Yehuda to Syrian Antioch and were teaching the brothers in Mashiach that if you lack the Brit Milah as prescribed by Moshe Rabbeinu, it's impossible for you to come to salvation in Hashem. Okay, and so, and some men came down from Yehuda to Syrian Antioch. Okay? I'm kind of taken back right now because this is the same thing that's happening over here in Safad in 1538 where they're handing out schmika like that's the thing to do. And then it's like, OK, and then we'll tell Jerusalem now. And it's like, OK, something's not right here. It says back in Acts. It says, uh, now this brought them into a dispute and a debate of no little proportion with Rav, Shaul, and Barnabas. Okay, so yeah. so a little get you some moment happening right now. It says, who were appointed to go up with some others from them to bring this question before Mashiach's Sliakim, and Zekanim, where? Oh, in Yerushalayim. So basically, there's this gauntlet thrown down by some people from Yehuda, who came over here to these other people and said, yeah, unless you have the Breathing Laws prescribed by Moshe in the Torah, you, you're you going to have a hard time with salvation. You don't have it. And it's just kind of like, word gets to Rav Shaul and Barnaba, and they're like, okay, you know what? Instead of uh, trying to take y'all out back and uh, show you some brotherly love, we are going to just go ahead and take this to the leaders, okay, which are Mashiach Shliakim. And notice here how Rav Shaul and Bar Nabah are not considered to be Mashiach Sliakim or Zakanim in Yerushalayim. So if you're going to elevate Shaul above any of the Jerusalem leadership or council, Yaakov, and any of the other 12 Talmudim of Mashiach, then you're going to have some issues because his word is subjugated to their word. Okay, so I would advise spending less time in his letters and spending more time in the other guy's letters so that you can glean more uh, authority from them. And help balance and mitigate some of the improper understandings that you may run into with Shaul. Because Shaul is not teaching against Torah, but he's teaching definitely on a drash or sod level at best. So, you know, unless you're really in depth and uh, skilled in backflips and uh, ninja assassin fighting... With Torah and concepts, you know, I would advise you to kind of come back over here to get yourself a Humash, get yourself a Tanakh and start going through the Parashot and start with Rashi, you know. But anyway, I digress. I think it's just very important for us to note. Mashiach, Mashiach, Shliakim, and Zekanim in Yerushalayim. That's where you take major, major disputes. Okay? Then it says in verse three, having sent, having been sent on their way by the congregation, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Shomron, telling in detail how the nations were turning to Hashem and they were bringing great simka, great joy to all the brothers in Mashiach. So the fellowship of the followers of Mashiach. And having come to Yerushalayim, they were received by Mashiach's congregation. How beautiful is that? In Yerushalayim, Mashiach's congregation. Like, we're here, you know, basically like Lapid, Mashiach's congregation. You know, it's here. Other congregations that are followers of Mashiach and who walk in Torah, like Mashiach's congregation. Like, okay. It says, and Mashiach's Shliachim and the Zakenim. Okay, these are all the elders. And they reported what things Hashem had done with them. So it's important to know that the Beit HaMikdash was still in existence. The Sanhedrin was still in existence. Okay, wasn't disbanded yet. So the Sanhedrin was supposedly disbanded about 40 years before the destruction of the beta mcdash but there are accounts that really say it was pretty much around 359 maybe a little earlier in the 50s uh, in the 350s that the sanhedrin was completely disbanded so like the last of the remnant of the sanhedrin that's when it was disbanded which is interesting when you look at the council of nicaea which was also in the 300s and it was a little bit before that time about 25 years or so um, and then you have the later council that came in on the last half of that uh that century and so in between these two councils so to speak of the establishing of the church and catholicism and things like that because the church is catholicism just know that, believe that, even if you, um, want to try to say otherwise, but, you know, it all started there and it's got its roots all connected up and stuff. And so in between that was when the last of the Sanhedrin just kind of fizzled out, which is the last of schmika and all that kind of stuff. So with that going on, go all the way back over here to not too far after Mashiach's resurrection. We got the Talmudim of Mashiach and the Zekanim and uh, everything going on in Yerushalayim and these disputes are being brought. So we're going to the headquarters here and the headquarters feature followers of Mashiach Yeshua. That's incredible. This is like what I want to encourage all of us is Lapid especially that if we're following Mashiach and keeping the Torah, This is not new. It's new to this generation, but it's not new when it comes to really the word of God. So uh, anyway, it says, but some of the believers of the resurrection of the dead from the, let's see, I'm going to change my translation real quick because this is like the Hebrew. So it says the Ma Aminim HaMeshikim. So that is 155. I'm gonna go ahead and do my do my parallel over here. Fifteen five. Okay, but some of those who had come to trust were from the party of the perishing. Okay. And it says they stood up and said, Is it necessary to circumcise them? And direct them to observe the Torah of Moshe Okay, so is it necessary to give the Goyim the Brit Milah and to command them to be Shomer Mitzvot keeping the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu? So this is going on and it says and Mashiach Shliakim and Zekonim were gathered together as a council Okay to consider this matter so It's interesting that they're gathering together as a council because that's what the Council of Nicaea was. They like did this whole gathering to like figure out stuff. And it's just like, but that the Council of Nicaea was apart from Torah and Judaism. So we look over here in Acts 15, this is Torah and Judaism and it's done in Mashiach, you know. So like even more so and the pattern is laid out from this week's Torah portion of Shoftim that this is how you do it. So, whenever disputes and debates and things come up that are something that need to be discussed and talked about and ruled upon, you bring it to the Shof team, namely the Zakanim, the elders, all of that kind of stuff. So, this is uh, Shof team in action right here. So, uh, th- there's that. And then it says, And after much deliberation had taken place, Mashiach Shliokim, or Mashiach Shliak Kepha, got up Kepha said to them brothers men brothers of Mashiach you have da'at, that in the early days Hashem chose that among you I would be the one and through my mouth the Goyim would hear the divar of Hashem of the good news of redemption so that is acts fifteen seven. So if you go back to what Kepha is talking about, Kepha is talking about uh, Matthew 16 and 18, where it says, "And I tell you that you are a Kefa, and on on this rock I will build my congregation, and the gates, the Shaarekah, the Shaare, of Gehenna will not overthrow it." So if you look at what's going on here The context It says now having arrived In the district of Caesarea Philippi Re- Melech Mashiach Began speaking uh, and asking His Talmudim who do men Say that I am And so you get all the way there and Shimeon Kepha said in reply I skipped a few verses it says And in reply You are Mashiach the king you are the Ben Elohim, Kaim. You are the Son of the Living God. And Melek Mashiach said in reply to him, Ashrei Shimeon Bar Yonah, because Basar Ve'adam, flesh and blood, did not give you this revelation, but my Father who resides and dwells in the heavenlies. And then that leads into our verse here saying that it is upon you that I will build my congregation, my community, and the gates of Gehenna shall not overpower it. So that's what Kepha was talking about over here in Acts. So Acts 15, 7 says that, and it says, And the one who has the ought of Levavot, and that is the one who knows the heart, it says Hashem... He bore solemn testimony and stood as their witness, having given the non-Jews the Ruach HaKodesh, just as Hashem did also to us. So what happened in Acts chapter 2 also was shown to Kepha in Acts chapter 10 and 11 that the Goyim now are experiencing this too. Because before, the Ruach HaKodesh was just feeling and falling out and being mikfed through Mashiach on the Yehudim now, Kephah was being shown it's also happening to the Goyim too so that's something that happens with the coming of Mashiach so get you some of that, right? so now, we keep going so Kepha is saying, I bore witness that this happened you know, so now that we are having this dispute and we're having this council okay, now we need to talk about this, what does this mean? It says, and in the cleansing, the purifying of their hearts by a munah, and in making pure their hearts by a munah. So if you're placing your trust and your faith in Hashem and you're serving him diligently and faithfully, he's purifying your heart. And I t- we talked about this last week about having fellowship with Mashiach. We're purifying ourselves and the blood of Mashiach cleanses us. All that kind of stuff. We talked about that. And so here it is again over here in Acts 15, 9. It says, in this respect, Hashem did not differentiate between us Jews and non-Jews. So it doesn't matter if you're coming into Mashiach, you're being cleansed and purified. Whatever your background is, it's irrelevant. (laughs) You know, it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So... You know, we're all followers of Hashem. We're all children of God. We're all B'nai Israel at this point. Just like at Mount Sinai, you know, you have people who were in Egypt who, uh, whether they were Egyptian or from other parts of the world, when the Exodus happened, they left, you know, they got in those houses that were covered with the blood of the lamb. They got circumcised. And because where do you think the second blood came from? There are two bloods that were placed on the doorpost. There's the blood of the lamb and the blood of the circumcision. So who got circumcised? Okay. And so then that all happened, and then they went through the parting of the Yam Suf, which was considered to be a mikvah. And they're in the clouds of glory, which considered to be a mikvah. They're in the words of Moshe, which is considered to be a mikvah. And they're all standing there at Mount Sinai, and they, again, immerse themselves and cleanse their clothes, and they were sprinkled with the blood of the covenant, and all of that. And so, Naseh benishma, all of that happened, and these were sons of Yaakov, which were B'nai Yisrael, and then you had people who were brought in, and they're still called B'nai Yisrael, and you have Egyptians, they're all brought in as well. So... It's Jews and non-Jews alike that have been brought in and purified through their faith. So there's that big picture. And then it says, therefore, now, why are you testing Hashem by laying a yoke upon the neck of the Talmudim, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? OK, so it says, see Devarim nine, five through six, Devarim nine, 5 through six. Oh, yeah, man, we're like. Jumping back into Parshah Ekev. (laughs) Alright, it says, Not for your righteousness or uprightness of your heart do you possess the land, but for the wickedness of these nations, Hashem your God drives them out from before you, that He may perform the word which Hashem swore unto your forefathers, Abraham, Yitak, and Yaakov. Understand, therefore, that Hashem your God gives you not this land, this good land, to possess it for your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. So this is what Kaif was alluding to. Like Neither us or our forefathers are really holding up to what we need to be doing because our sheriffs are working overtime. We're still like working out our salvation with fear and trembling, so um, we don't need to be doing this. And, you know, at Sar Shalom, we talked about the fact that there are ideas that are out there literally um, in the world where it says, unless people know the Shulchan Aruch, like all the way through, like they know all the Shulchan Aruch, then they cannot get converted and come into the synagogue, you know. And we at Sar Shalom are like, wait, what? Like, how are you going to set that as a standard for bringing in converts? Ain't nobody going to convert under that. <laughs> and that's what Kaif was alluding to. Ain't nobody going to be able to hold that yoke. We ain't even holding it. And yet, this same idea that's uh, sent out about not uh, converting people unless they know the complete Shulchan Arukh, the same person or the same people who made that standard, they themselves are studying the Shulchan Arukh. They're having these classes. And there are constantly classes on the Shulchan Arukh. And it's just like, so wait, is this a double standard? Are we moving goalposts around? Quit doing that. You know, just put the post down and step away. Just say no. Because the thing is, is you're to make it easy for Converse to come in. You know, like Mashiach didn't walk around going, I don't want to talk to you. Get out of here. Well, I mean, he did say that to her. But, you know, it was really to say that I'm not here for the nations, I'm here for the lost sheep, but to his lost sheep, he was really, like, calling out for them, you know, the one with the issue of blood, she pressed in, and and touched the ZZ of his garment, and he's, like, looking for her, like, where are you at, you know, and she's like, I'm over here, I'm sorry I did that, and he's just like, your Amunah has made you whole, Zacchaeus, climbing all up in her tree, trying to get a view of Mashiach, he's like, hey, I'm coming to your house today. And it's just like, wow. So Mashiach was really like open and like receiving and receptive of people. He was here for his sheep. But once he was scorned by his own people, it was like, okay, fine. The the native branches are going to be broken off since they don't want to be a part of this tree. Now I'm going to go graft in some wild branches. Now these wild branches, as he is doing that, that process of grafting them in, He's turning that same openness to them, just like Yosef and Mitzrayim. He was completely ready to to feed everybody during the famine. But he was like, I just need y'all to get circumcised. And then the people were like, what is that? And he was just like, this is what that is. He explains it. And they're like, oh, see you later. We're going to go talk to Pharaoh. He goes to talk to Pharaoh. These people go to talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, no, that's cool. You got to do what Yosef says and you can get bread. So if you want you to get circumcised, then you just got to get circumcised. Because that's the only way you're going to get food. So, you know, my hands are kind of tied. And it's like, really, Pharaoh? Really? You're supposed to be greater than Yosef. And you're going to submit us to his authority? It's like, yeah. Whatever he says goes. And uh, that's, that's how we roll. So... Obviously, from the two precedents that I've just shared, you can see why circumcision would be such a big thing. Because if nations were coming in during the Exodus and they were in the house covered in blood on the doorposts, or the, they were in houses that had blood covering the doorpost, and there was circumcision, and then over here with Yosef and Mitzrayim, in order for the nations to eat, they had to get circumcised, okay, so it's like, okay, so in order to eat, in order to be nourished and sustained, you have to get circumcised, and so, these people from Yehuda, that came up, and they in, ended up being, uh, encountering Rabbi Shaul and Barnaba, and now they're brought up here to Yerushalayim, it's like, okay, this is why this is a thing, <laughs> so, Kefa is like, But, Hashem is showing me something else, that there is the Ruach HaKodesh purifying people with their heart, from their heart, you know, and the understanding of Judaism that is that Mashiach is going to circumcise our hearts. So, we're already seeing that picture right here. So, now that we're having this council to figure out we got new people coming in, yes, they need to get circumcised. But the issue is, is there is their circumcision really uh, a bearing on their salvation? You know, like in other words, is it really that they don't have salvation because they're not circumcised? So that's where we currently are in our episode of Acts 15, breaking down the Shemikah from the Sefer Mitzvot. Then it says, uh, on the contrary, we believe that Jews come to salvation by the grace of Hashem of Melek Mashiach Aronenu, in the same Derech Hashem as non-Jews do. Now, seriously, think about this. It says that literally it is the loving kindness, the grace of Hashem through Mashiach Yeshua That we trust and are delivered, and it is the same with them. I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I just I think that's absolutely incredible because, with all the circumstances and implications of everything, look at the precedent laid down in Devarim nine that it's not because of our righteousness, but it's because Hashem's grace is loving kindness, which He's doing that. And the merit of the patriarchs, which we know Mashiach is greater than the patriarchs. So, in the merit of Mashiach, we're experiencing the grace and loving and kindness of Hashem. And that is what brings us into deliverance, not the isolated act of circumcision. That does not mean to not get circumcised, that just means circumcision is not going to quote unquote save you. Okay, if I could lightly use that term, what is going to bring deliverance and spiritual regeneration and renewal is us entering in through the Amunah and Hashem, his purifying of us and us walking in his path, his way, his truth and his life. Verse 12, it says the whole assembly kept still as they listened to Barnabas and Shaul tell what signs and miracles God had done through them. Among the Goyim, Yaakov broke the silence. So, there's silence from the whole assembly, the congregation here. And Shaul and Barnaba are doing their thing. And so, it's like, Yaakov broke the silence to reply. Brothers, he said, hear what I have to say. This is why Yaakov, again, he is the leader of this whole thing. You know, he's the Nazi. Okay, because, you know, the Sanhedrin is 70 members plus one. And then it says, uh, Yaakov broke the silence. Shimeon has told in detail what God did when he first began to show his concern for taking from among the Goyim a people to bear his name. And the words of the prophets are in complete harmony with this. Okay, so... Yaakov is saying, okay, Tag, I agree with what Kepha said earlier, and Shaul and Barnaba are going all off about the miracles and the signs that what Kepha is talking about is actually legit. Yaakov is now saying, take both of those things and put that with this, because the prophets had already talked about this. It says, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen sukkah of David. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek Hashem. That is, all the goyim who have been called by my name, says Adonai, who is doing these things. All this has been known for ages. Therefore, my opinion... Which, if he's bringing down an opinion, this is the person that you go with, okay? It is that we should not put obstacles in the way of the Goyim who are returning to God, or who are turning to God. But really, who are returning to God, because you remember all babies, all men, are taught the Torah in the womb. So, before we're born... We're exhorted to be righteous. So really, returning or turning either same thing. So not putting obstacles in the way. Make it easy, okay? So then it says, instead, we should write them a letter. Well, then we just read in Sefer Mitzvot about the letter the rabbis of Savat sent to Yerushalayim about the Shmika thing. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. The letter is supposed to go out from Yerushalayim because that's the headquarters. So Yaakov is dispatching it here. He says, Instead, we should write them a letter telling them to abstain from things polluted by idols from fornications and from what is strangled and from blood. Now, if you look at all those different things, uh, there are quite a few of the observances that the church that are in contrary to that. Because when you look at the different holidays that are uh, taught and that are observed, those holidays are polluted by idols and they're based on some of them. A lot of them really are based on fornication, to be quite honest. And then um, abstain from what is strangled and from blood. You know, any of the meat that you're going to eat needs to be kosherly slaughtered. You know, uh, the x ham and the uh, ham that you will have on the spring festival that the churches celebrate. That's not slaughtered meat, culturally slaughtered meat, you know, and it probably has a significant amount of blood in it. Uh, Obviously, there's a portion that you can it's safe to consume. Uh, Safe is a really not relative term here, but needless to say, it's not properly slaughtered. So with that, all the details that goes with that. So you see some violations right there. So what I'm really trying to do is encourage us to really understand that where we all need to be headed towards is Torah. So whether we are going to a church or going to a synagogue, we need to be walking in Torah. We need to pull to Mashiach Yeshua. Like, I don't know what better way I can say that. And so I'm not wanting to bash Christianity and I'm not wanting to bash Judaism or elevate one above the other and all this kind of stuff, but Hashem's voice is going out and He's calling His people right now, and so we need to today hear His voice and and get beyond all of our all of our traditions that have been uh, upheld in our families that are contrary to the voice of Hashem. If it and strength, if it strengthens and empowers us to walk in the way, the truth, and the life, then yes, we need to do that. But if it's not, then it's okay. Like, you know, I know you're used to doing certain things on certain times, but Hashem said, so let's do, you know? And it's going out right here that the this is being sent to the nations who are coming into faith of Hashem. You know, they're coming into Israel. They're coming to be a part of the Holy Nation, the royal priesthood, the set apart people of Israel. Like I'm pretty sure these Goyim that are coming in right here, I'm pretty sure they've never celebrated Hanukkah. They've never celebrated Pesach. They've never celebrated Sukkot. They've never walked with a kepa on or zit zit or entered into a synagogue on the Shabbat for service and had candle lighting on Friday nights and you know, uh, abstain from eating shrimp and pork and uh, mixing meat and dairy, like all sorts of stuff. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm pretty sure these Goyim are not like completely skilled and uh, keen on these things. And so it's just like, just start with this and uh, continuing on. It says, verse 21, from the earliest times, Moshe has had in every city those who proclaim him with his words being read in the synagogues every Shabbat. And in Shoftim, you know, this parashah here, talks about these Levitical cities and how the Levites are dispersed throughout the land. And, you know, there's this idea of missionaries. And I just want to go ahead and point out that uh, I got to read this and I thought this was absolutely incredible. Uh, let's see. It's after the king. Okay. This is from, uh, Devarim 18.6 from, uh, New Humash. He's Kuni. Well, I've been had this, but you know, I'm just getting a little bit more acquainted with it now. So the He's Kuni, uh, Jewish commentator here, Jewish commentary, it says on 18.6, uh, Veki Yavo Hol. Holui, which is an if a ha slika Yavo Halevi. Wow. So Veki Yavo Halevi. And if a Levite comes. That phrase from Devarim 18.6. The Levites are mentioned after the priests as they too have been charged with teaching the people the Torah. And the fact that they do not have to work the land makes them free to do so. Their task has been spelled out clearly in 2 Chronicles seventeen seventy nine. In fact, we see there that they were traveling teachers. Okay? So, this whole idea that we know today of missionaries... It's actually traveling Levites. You know, they're traveling teachers. So, um... So that means if we're going to be traveling around and teaching, we need to be traveling around and teaching Torah because the Levites are charged with teaching the people Torah. All right. So there's that. Then it says leaving the towns to set aside for the Levites and visiting small communities in order to teach there. So I wanted to bring that out that uh, how beautiful is that this whole concept of traveling to teach Torah that's already been precedented, and it's called Levites. We travel around and we teach Torah. Hmm. Okay, so, and that's to uh, see that in Acts 15:21 it says, Moshe has in every city those who proclaim him. These are the Levites. These are the Torah teachers. So then, if you think about being a Goy, and you're coming in, you get converted, you're entering into Torah, you believe in Mashiach, it's all like amazing, you're a lapid, Mazaltov, and it's like, alright, so where am I at? Because I don't know anything about anything. It's like, great, here's what we want you to do. Stay away from things that are polluted by idols. It's like, what is that? Anything that's uh, not... Uh, conducive to Torah. Okay, so stay away from the crazy wild parties that you've been a part of because you know how the, uh, how the Greeks get down, so don't do that. And um, make sure that you're not involved in any sexual relations that are um, outside of the bounds of a husband and a wife. So it's like oh so i need to get married in order to do that okay cool i can figure that out uh may hashem help me you know kind of thing and then it says you know and make sure you don't eat meat that's strangled you know so in other words if the meat don't have a hexer on it don't eat it it's like okay here we go so that's what's brought down from the headquarters and it's like the new converts the new people that are coming in who don't know nothing about anything That's, that's the parameters that they're stepping into. And now they're going to go to classes because Levites are traveling around and teaching Torah. And then on Shabbat, you know, you're going to be going through the Torah portions because, you know, Ezra had already had the Torah portion system in place by this time as well. So if you think about what's going on. You're entering in, so you need to be learning Torah at least, you know, a couple of times a week and every Shabbat. So you know that at least once a week now you're going to study the Torah because you're going to be a part of Shabbat. And then you got the Levites who are traveling around and teaching. So you got your Torah teachers bringing it. Okay, you're listening to Josh's, you're answering questions or you're asking questions. Okay, so make it easy for these converts to come in so um just wanted to go over that section of acts and again they go more into detail with 22 and on and um they really get into the fact of uh, verse 29 to reiterate abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols uh from blood and from things strangled and from fornication you know keep yourself from these things and you'll be able to do the right thing you know That literally was sent out and it says, so we have sent Yehuda and Selah and they will confirm in person what we are writing. So the elders in the HQ, they said they brought this down. This is from the emissaries and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers among the Goyim throughout Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So where we started off in Acts 15, now uh, from the beginning of this chapter all the way to here We now see it all culminated in what it's like when you go through the team To get down the judgments that need to happen So to finish up our Sefer Hinuk Shemitah Get You some. Once this letter was sent over here to Yerushalayim It says To their dismay The chief rabbi of Yerushalayim Rabbi Levi, Ibn Habib, which is the Maharal Bach, strongly disagreed with them. Another great scholar in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Moshe de Castro, who in his youth had studied under Mahari Beirav, also had several reservations. The student of a guy who formerly studied under mahari beirav who received this shemitah from people in Safat, it says that he even had reservation that's crazy this is he expressed in a letter to the rabbis of Zifat now look at this picture <laughs> you got people saying oh we got the shemitah back or the uh shmika back and Yerushalayim, just want to let you know, just in case you guys were unaware, and Yerushalayim writes back, no, there is no shmita, shmika uh, from what you're bringing up, um, you're, yeah, just no. So then it says, a fierce exchange between Maharal Bach, the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, And the Mahari Beirav, the first person who got Shemitahed over here, Shemitahed, I keep saying Shemitah, slika. first person who got Shemitahed over here by the rabbis of Safat. And it says, there were three lengthy treaties, three lengthy treaties on the subject that were written. (laughs) Mahari Beirav wrote two. So, the rabbi of Yerushalayim wrote three. And Mahari Beirav wrote too With each side claiming that the other was making a grave mistake At some point during the controversy, the leading rabbi in Egypt Come on, Egypt is going to come in and get them some Rabbi David Ben or Ibn Zimra, which is the Rad Vaz, was consulted and he wrote a responsum. So now we're adding into all this. And it says, siding with the rabbis of Jerusalem. Okay, so now we got three on one is going right now. So you got the chief rabbi of Jerusalem. You got a scholar, a great scholar in Jerusalem. And then you got this guy, this rabbi from Egypt, who's now coming in and being like, okay, all of this stuff from Zafat, here we go. And it says, we do not have this responsum, but Radvaz summarizes his arguments in his commentary to Rambam and he'll quote Sanhedrin 411. So, I don't know if you see the irony in that, that Rambam brings down this thing and then the people of Zafat try to take Rambam and use that to... Uh, institute the shmika but yet within that same source that they're using there is also proof against what they're trying to do so the even the source they're using is devalidating what they're trying to do so anyway that's another thing you run into with your rambam is that you'll try to be accomplishing something that unless you thoroughly read all of rambam which have fun completely devoting yourself to that. But, uh, you know, you'll like I said, you're just going to run into issues. So it says, ultimately, the view of the rabbis of Yerushalayim prevailed and the Shmika initiative died out. This is 1538 we're talking about. So today, if anybody's talking about they have a Shmika, you might want to point them to this and say, can you explain that a little bit more to me please separate vote here on the sanhedrin and shmika okay so then it says what follows is a brief synopsis of several objections that were raised by opponents of the attempt to renew shmika so that all goes and then this is what i really want to key on in the view of those who oppose the renewal of shmika there was another reason to question the efficacy now let me go back let me go back the great sanhedrin okay Three judges from the Great Sanhedrin are required, while Rambam maintains that any three judges who receive Shemekah are sufficient. So they're talking about all this on renewing the Shemekah. But then it says, Taking these two disputes into account, it would be irresponsible to renew Shemekah based on Rambam's suggestion. Because in doing so, would create a doubt as to whether we should continue relying on the fixed calendar... Of Rabbi Hillel HaNasi and Rabbi Hillel HaNasi is not the great Hillel that we know about, but he is the great, 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 great grandson of him. And then it says, so you got this fixed calendar. So if we renew the Shmika, then we're going to have to stop with the fixed calendar. And then it says, for if Rambam's method for the beginning, or see, if Rambam's method for renewing Shmika is effective for if it is effective, but Rambam is correct about the requirements of establishing the beginning of the months, i.e. any three judges which Shmika suffice, bait deemed would be required to assume responsibility for establishing the beginning of the months and declaring the leap years. Just to point out, the fixed calendar already has all that set. So if you're redoing you're going to just throw out all the preset stuff and you're going to have to go to task on redelineating everything. So it says, but if Rambam's method for renewing shmika is ineffective, Ramban with a noon, or if Rambam is correct about the requirements for establishing new months, Then we must continue to rely on the fixed calendar of Rabbi Hillel Hanasi, even if we conferred Smika on several judges. Since such doubt would wreak havoc on the Jewish calendar, we must refrain from adopting Rambam's method for renewing SMika. So, again, this is why I'm so amazed and in awe by the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar, because if this is the case where You got the Rambam versus the Ramban, you know, method of Shmika and all that kind of stuff going on. And if we renew Shmika and how we're going to have to redo everything, no matter which way you slice it, the fixed calendar, I mean, it's, it literally is fixed. Like it's, it's completely accurate, (laughs) you know, and Hashem has been showing it over the past few years that I've been Jewish anyway with all the blood moons and eclipses and everything that's happening those are happening on Yom Tov's according to the fixed calendar you know so it's just kind of like man so if you think about renewing schmika and trying to establish new judges and all that kind of stuff I mean they're going to be backlogged on trying to make sure the calendar's right you know and all that kind of stuff like getting all that set out and squared away so anyway just want to let you know, that is the uh, the throwdown on Shmika. And so now we can fast forward. In the time, first of all, I want to go back to the place where I was going to go. And then I went back from. It says, in the view of those who oppose the renewal of Shmika, there was another reason to question the efficacy of the Shmika conferred by the rabbis of Safat. Even if Rambam, with a mem, met his suggestion as a definitive ruling. Okay, so there was another reason to question the efficacy of the Shmika by the rabbis of Safat, even if the Rambam's suggestion was a definitive ruling. Then it says the Halakha that is the halakha is that shmika can be conferred only upon a sage who is sufficiently knowledgeable to issue rulings in all areas of Torah. Shmika can be conferred. Only upon a sage. Who is sufficiently knowledgeable. To issue rulings. In all areas of the Torah. Both questioned. Okay that's the end of that statement. Now it says that Radvaz. Which again that's the guy from Egypt. Maharal Bak, And Maharal Bach, again, that is the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim. Keeping everything squared away properly here. It says that these two both question whether, even in their time, any sage met this requirement. End of that paragraph. That's enough of that. (laughs) They question. These two people question. Okay? They're prominent people. They're not just Joe Schmoes. So it says, in... Which is funny, because now knowing Hebrew, when you say Joe Shmo, you're saying Joe is his name, like Yosef is his name. So it says, in the time of Mashiach, the institution of Shemekah will need to be re-established, so that the judges of that time should be able to educate all laws and fix the calendar. According to the view of the rabbis of Zafat, Shmika can be renewed At that time by having All the sages of Eretz Israel Agree to confer Upon it, to confer it Upon someone But according to the rabbis of Yerushalayim How will Shmika be Reinstituted in the time of Mashiach Those rabbis Address this issue and explain That as it is well known The prophet Eliyahu will Reappear Near the time when Mashiach comes, Eliyahu possesses Shmika and an unbroken chain from Moshe. For Eliyahu received Shmika from his teacher, which is Akiah HaShiloni, when he prophesied for the Jewish people during the first temple era. Thus, Eliyahu will be able to confer Shmika Upon those who are qualified to receive it In the time of Mashiach Alternatively Mashiach himself Will be authorized by Hashem To confer Shmika Just as Moshe our teacher Was authorized by Hashem To begin the chain of Shmika In his time So what does that mean? That means we're either waiting on Eliyahu To set some people up Or we're waiting on Mashiach to set some people up. But either way, Eliyahu precedes Mashiach and the Sanhedrin will be reestablished. The temple will be rebuilt and the restoration of the Shoftim is going to take place. So, get you some of that. Uh, Last little thing I want to share because I know it's been quite the lengthy drosh here. Um... Just a few Hiskuni sightings that I've had today. Hiskuni on 1720 of this week's Torah portion says that um, so that he may prolong his life, talking about the king, it says it is a well-known fact that the burden of high office is bound to shorten the life of the people who are charged with it. In order to counteract this, the Torah provides the king with an antidote, i.e. regular daily Torah study. This is also why when the king is crowned, the crowd welcomes him with the shout, Long live the king, which is Yechai, or Yechi Hamelech. Yechi Hamelech. Long live the king. So that's where that comes from, because the king is supposed to study Torah and the Torah is going to counteract all of the burden and (laughs) everything that goes along with having a high office. So how much more so for us who don't have a high office and we're involving ourselves in daily Torah study and we're uh, basically lengthening our life, counteract the things that are going on in our world that are so stressful that shorten our lives through Torah study, we're lengthening our lives. And then, uh, eighteen one in the Chizkuni says, The priests and Levites shall not have, they shall not own. And it says, After the Torah had spelled out details pertaining to Jewish kings, it proceeds to do the same for the hereditary positions of the priests and the Levites. They were charged with teaching the people, and that meant that they did not own their own. They were free to be able to teach. Okay. Um, let me go more into that here. It says that um, they were charged with teaching the people, i.e. worrying about the spiritual welfare, whereas the king is charged with looking after the material well-being. That's from the Ibn Ezra. The reason why the priests and Levites will not own ancestral land and the Holy Land is that if they did, they would neglect its upkeep. What's going on here? If they did, they would neglect its upkeep. And then it says as they were required to constantly be present in the temple. So I wanted to shout that out there. Uh, the other thing, uh, 17, 1715 says, you may not appoint over yourself a foreigner. Basically in the section talking about kings. And this is how we know Mashiach has to be Jewish because we can't have a non-Jewish king leading Israel. That would not be appropriate. Why? says, the reason for this is that a foreigner may wish to impose his religion upon you. So there's that. And that's all I got today So um, there's uh, more to come So with the help of Hashem I will look forward to sharing more insights with you And what do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vekaye olam nata betokeinu Baruch no Adonai, ha HaTodah. Amen. Amen. Adonai, may we merit to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Amen.